Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, baby, hump day. It's hump day. It's middle of the week. It's Wednesday, downhill slide. Uh, Firearms Friday is... Well, it's not coming this week. It's going to be Firearms Thursday. But it is uh, a balmy 51 degrees outside the studios here in South Central. And, um, wow, I mean, just another beauty. Here, what, what, June 28th, June 28th, almost all the way through June, and we have not seen another, we have not seen a 70-plus day down here in South Central since the beginning of this whole mess that we call summer 2023. But uh, supposed to get warm again this weekend, into the 60s anyway. Ooh, I'm so excited. Uh, meanwhile, a little bit wet, a little bit rainy, a little bit cool. Uh, but that is summer in Alaska. If you don't like it, wait 15 minutes, it'll change, right? That's the that's that's what's going on. That's what's happening. Good morning, my friends, and uh, uh, welcome to the program. Uh, it is uh, Wednesday, and uh, normally we would sit down and chat with uh, State Senator Mike Schauer, uh, do some things like that. He's one of our normal Wednesday guests. He's still on hiatus for right now. Ooh, bad. He's uh, relaxing, uh, maxing and relaxing, enjoying a little time off before the madness that is the either a special session which we're going to talk about the likelihood of that right now here in a few minutes, or the regular session comes back into play. Regular session, of course, begins in January, like January the 16th or something like that. And so uh, we're it's just you and me today, uh, just you and me. And uh, I thought this was the perfect opportunity to do a couple things. I mean, we're just going to hit some headlines here in hour one, and I am going to open up the phone lines um, to uh, – See where y'all are at. Where y'all at? Isn't that how they say it? Y'all. Where y'all at right now? Uh, We're going to close that up and pull the phone lines open. 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. We were having an interesting conversation yesterday about the state of the state and where we're going and whether or not a new tax is needed and whether or not there's the ability to cut anything, um, which led to, by the way, an off-air conversation between me and Chris Story that went on for a significant amount of time uh, as we argued back and forth over certain points of the uh, – it was an interesting conversation. I almost wish we'd had it on the air. Um, my my cold medicine was just wearing off at that time, and uh, uh, it, got a, it got a little heated. Now, Chris and I are good friends, and so – we can have those heated conversations sometimes, but man, oh, it was interesting. And it just, it just, you know, it just, it made me want to come back and sit down with, uh, with, with folks and say, if not the options that are being laid out right now by me, by people like Brad, by people like Ben Carpenter, by people like Mike Shower, 
you know, those kind of things, then what is the answer? What is the answer for fixing what is fundamentally wrong in the state right now? And, um, you know, bottom line was at the end of the conversation, he didn't really have an answer for me. Um, And that's kind of where we get to is, you know, in these kind of conversations where it becomes a discussion on how do we fix what's broken in the state? It goes from uh, I'm getting right into it this morning. I guess I'm just getting right into it this morning. But, you know, it comes down to, well, I don't know what the fix is, but I just want smaller government. Which, yes, I mean, I I agree. I yes, absolutely. I want smaller, more limited government. I want them to spend less than $15,000 per person on state government. I want them to spend less than $18,000 per student on average to educate the children. I want them to do a lot of those kind of things. But I have you have to have a plan to get there. You have to have a plan to make all that how do you, how do you do it if you can't just go in on a wish and a prayer and say, this is kind of what I want. Now, let me know when it's done. You, you just, it, it's not going to work that way. It is not, it is just not fundamentally going to work that way. You have to have some kind of blueprint or outline. Now, I thought we may have had one in the, um, in the compromise plan that came out of the fiscal policy working group. Uh, I mean, it was a plan where, you know, really, in the end, nobody was happy because everybody lost something. Everybody had to give a little bit. But in the end, it probably worked. And that was great, except for the fact that once it was done, it was just more political theater. That I mean, that was the, the bottom line, is that they came out with a, what was really a good plan. But to actually implement it was nigh on to impossible. So that's when we start talking about some of these other things uh, going on around, you know, going on around the state. And we start looking at other options. If we can't do the fiscal policy working group plan of the holistic all in nine points, you know, all the different things. Well, then we have to start looking at other thing else. And then everybody gets pissed about, well, how dare you talk about, how dare you talk about this? Or how dare you talk about that? How dare you talk about taxes? And how dare you, you know, how how dare we? How dare we do that? You call yourself a libertarian and you're talking about taxes. I can't believe you. Well, you know, here's the thing. Um, it's coming. The taxes are going to be here. I mean, again, I think I did this the other day, but let's just mark my words. Wednesday, the 28th of June. Let me just say that within the next four years, three years, there will be taxes in the state of Alaska. That's it. I mean, that that's just they're, they're, because if nothing else changes right now, the PFD will be consumed and there'll be taxes. Uh, we can try and short circuit it, constitutionally protect the PFD, and then there's going to have to be taxes anyway to make up for the shortfall because they can't control it. The, the whole bottom line is, is the government's going to grow. Now. You can try and control the growth of government by taking the money from where it's at and where their funding sources is and starving the beast and doing all that. Great. 
but it's it's always been my contention, as I said earlier, that if you know something is coming, if you know something is going to happen, wouldn't you rather participate in the discussion in making the least worst thing happen? Or would you rather just stand in defiance in the middle of the road and like, that train is coming, but I'm going to, I'll just stop it. I mean, you know, I'm open to suggestions. I really am. I'm open to suggestions that have some details and some thought put into them. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not open to amorphous, open-ended, well, we should just cut the government. Well, we've been trying. We've been trying. That's, I mean, that's kind of, you know, that's where we've been, we've been trying for a long time. But you can see the outcome of this. You can see what the legislators are saying. You can see what the, the special interests are saying and everything else. And none of it matches up with the reality of what's going on. And, and this is, look, this is, this is a monkey see, monkey do situation because we're seeing the same thing at the national level, only worse. The same thing at the national level. That's, that's, the, whole, that's the whole deal. Uh, so if you have a solution, you have a, a real idea of what how it should happen, how we should create the political will to do the cuts that we all know need to happen. If you have some other, I would love to hear, phone numbers right here, 907-433-3150. I'd love to hear it this morning in hour one. So we're going to talk about some headlines and we're going to go over some stuff and everything else. But I wanted to open up the phone lines just to see who has answers out there. Uh, we were really, you know, Chris says, when have we ever really tried to cut? When have we really ever tried to cut government? You look at the spending over the last two to three decades, you see it was never tried. Uh, what I'm saying is, Chris, is that we on the cuts side have been trying to get them to cut for the last two decades. But apparently we're just not loud enough. We're not influential enough. We're not smart enough. We're not good looking enough. We're not whatever it is to get them to do it. We have tried. We being the people who are asking for them to cut and live within their means. But the politicians that go, I guess, vote harder, man. Just vote harder. It'll work eventually, right? We have really tried. I mean, I have anyway. With my every waking breath, I've tried to get people to look at the simple arithmetic of the budget and said, this is not going to work in the long run. So maybe you ain't been trying. Maybe somebody else ain't been trying. Maybe we've all been trying and it's just falling on deaf ears. That's, that's, I mean, that's maybe the answer. But you can already see the reaction. Let me, let me give you the reaction. Here's the, here's, here's the reaction right now from the, uh, from the, uh, uh, from the legislature, from your elected officials, from the, um, powers that be from the special interests. Anchorage school administrators warn of staff cuts. Oh, by the way, we're going to do some what if Wednesday stuff in hour two, because this other stuff is going to make my head explode. So I need to peel it back. But in hour two, we'll do some what if. I got some I got some stuff lined out. We're going to talk about cascade failure. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff in hour two. But in this hour, we're going to talk about 
budgets, and we're going to talk about headlines. All right. All right. <clears throat> Trying to get <clears throat> my coffin jag under control. All right, here we go. Anchorage school administrators warn of staff cuts after Dunleavy's $87.5 million education veto. The school administrators in Anchorage warned in a letter to state legislators that the school district could eliminate hundreds of positions unless the legislature overrides the governor's $87 million veto of public school funding. The, uh, the Anchorage Superintendent Jared Bryant and Anchorage School Board President Margo Bellamy wrote a letter to the Anchorage-based state legislators on Friday requesting that the legislature call a special session to override Dunleavy's veto funding. The disruptive veto decision unnecessarily causes stress on an already vulnerable public education system. Alaska state law is clear on the roles and, re and the roles and responsibility of funding Alaska public education. Um, I don't think any court in the land would go like, dude, you're getting like, <laughs> you're getting more than almost any other state in the nation for public education. And piss poor management on your part does not constitute an emergency on our part. Right? <laughs> they, I mean... <laughs> This is, in the, like I said earlier, this is going to be the new battle cry. The new battle cry for the end of this session, for the special session, for going into the next part, is going to be, we just didn't do it. I mean, they wanted a $1,000, how much was it? It was $1,300. They wanted a $1,300 BSA increase because then we could balance our budgets. We need more money to balance our budgets. And then they got 680, and then that was cut in half to 340, and now they're like, we just don't know what to do. Well, if maybe if you are facing hundreds of layoffs, maybe you should prioritize in the, I mean, how many administrators do we now have per teacher in the classroom these days? Maybe we should prioritize what's going on in the classroom versus the administrative and overhead of everything else that's going on. Now. The legislative session, the special session at this point is not going to happen. Calvin Schrage, uh, who was the House Minority Leader, wrote a letter. Ooh, it's more political theater. Wrote a letter to Kathy Geisel or to, uh, sorry, to Kathy Tilton. Sorry, Kathy. Um, uh, saying that he, he asked her to poll all the rest of the House to see if they could get a special session. And, of course, it was signed by all the... All the usual suspects, I mean, every Democrat and quote-unquote independent in the House. And, uh, I mean, again, just more political theater uh, on this. We're going to continue. I've just realized I'm coming up on the break. Uh, we're going to continue with this as we move forward here and talk more about this. And I do have a phone line on hold, so we're going to go to the phones as soon as I return. Because I got – I got ch I'm chatting. I'm chatty Kathy. I'm chatty Kathy, not Giesel. Just chatty Kathy today. But they just hung up. I mean, you feel free to call back here when we hit the break. I didn't. I'm sorry. That's what happens. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll continue. Hour two is more uh, with the discussion of what if. And uh, it's going to be fun. We'll see you on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio.
What's that? Common sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Okay, man. Um, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Go back up here to the top. Uh, high projected of 79 degrees in Fairbanks. Okay. Um, you can't fix what's fundamentally wrong with government because the problem lies in the character of the people who hold government positions. Oh, there's a whole discussion on the psychology and sociopathy. Is that that's right? Sociopathic sociopathy of people who are in politics and leaders. I mean, there's a whole thing in there. There's a whole thing in there, man. I just, you know. Um, um, uh-oh. Going through. When in doubt, tax it out, said Brian. Um, going through here, looking through. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, if you starve the beast, the beast will retaliate. It will move to inflict, to inflict the maximum pain. Yes, yes, you are 100% correct. That is true. Um, talking about there's already a mass exodus against uh, um, apparently, well, Bill just said something needed, something needed an ass whooping and now he's going to get banned. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Um, what the house needs is a what? Oh, I know, I know. A strong man or woman to put the house in order. That's what we need. Okay. Um, sounds like the union is crying, says uh, Lisa and Gary. I mean, they're part of the they're part of the ones that are crying, for sure. Um, I'm sorry, I'm still going through some of the comments here. Okay. $87 million increase just isn't enough. Enough is never enough for greedy. St- I mean, it's not just teachers union. It's just the whole system itself. This, the whole system itself has become this self-sustaining. It's got to feed itself. It's got to grow. That is the nature of government. I don't know why we're surprised. Um, the, the, beast is not, the beast is not just the teachers union. It is the organic entity that is government. It, by its very nature, grows. I mean, we were just talking yesterday about the size and scope of the overall budget and that the overall budget, if nothing else happened and they didn't hold a special session and they didn't hold a regular session, if nothing else happened, the budget in the state would increase by $150 million next year, which means in five years, it'd be three quarters of a billion dollars more, which means in probably, I mean, if it was just straight, uh, what do they call that? Just if it was just straight on. Uh, you know, $150 million a year every year, that in 10 years, it'd be one and a half million dollars. But the problem is, is that it's also based on percentiles. So it actually would be faster than that. Logarithmic? I don't know. Anyway. It is, um, it's crazy. It's crazy. The nation's 
business and investment community has zero interest to invest in Alaska. It's a quagmire of bureaucracy and low returns on investments. Again, Alaska has continued to scrape the bottom of the barrel as the nicest business environment in the state. I mean, they are in the country. It's like 48th or 49th out of 50 for business environments. That's crazy. All right. Well, I'm getting back to it. I'm almost 100%. Almost still speaking it into existence. Here we go. Jumping back in. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We will see. um, We will see what's going on. Uh, Like and share. Like and follow. Subscribe on YouTube. I haven't seen any YouTube people here the last couple of days. What's going on out there? You guys still alive on YouTube? I know there's a few of you there. Let's go. Here we go. Let's do it. Now. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Duke's. I mean, there's a pinch in there somewhere. A little bit. Welcome back to the program. Ooh, baby. Wednesday, we've been talking about uh, been talking about state spending. We're talking about education. We're talking about the whining that just was coming away from the uh, school boards and the school members and everything else. I mean, here's what, you know, one of the interesting things that never gets brought up in these discussions and one of the things that these the reporters for these various outlets very rarely get into, they very rarely get into the weeds on this. And I know why, because most people don't care about the nitty gritty details. But one of the things that they never talk about is how much money do these folks have, these organizations, for example, the Anchorage School District, have on hand, have in cash reserve, have in this. They never talk about the student uh, to teacher to administrator ratio. They don't talk about some of those deeper things. One, because people's eyes start to glaze over, first of all. Uh, and they're really, I mean, this is just like the the new stuff for the most part these days have become like the Cliff Notes version because we all have the attention span of a mosquito. That I mean, that's really what's going on in this country. It's like you, you don't really ever get deeper into it. You read most of these stories and they're super short, super sweet, and they just braze over the highlights and they don't really open up any other realms of discussion. They don't really open up any other topics like, uh, you know, well, do they have money in savings? Do they have, have they tapped into all their funding sources? Have they looked at all? I mean, none of that stuff is ever discussed. It's you didn't give us the money that we needed. And so we're going to, right. That's what it comes down to. Um, And then you get this political theater of all the legislators in the minority, the House minority, saying, well, we better send this letter to Kathy Tilton to tell us that, you know, we we need her to conduct a survey to see if there's if we can have a special session, if we could override some of these vetoes. And so they all write this letter and they all sign off on it. And, uh, of course. You know, there's a bunch of newbies on there, new new freshman senators who probably don't know better. But there's some old timers on there, Stutes and Josephson and Ortiz, who basically know that this is a exercise in utter futility at this point. But they're going to do it. Why? Because they know the news media will cover it. 
They know the news media will come out and say, well, they wrote, they did their part. They tried to get the house to move and they could. It's all kabuki, right? It's kabuki at this point. Kathy Tilton's quoted in Mustery as saying she was puzzled over the hand wringing because the minority refused to give the House majority a three quarter vote to fund the biggie sized education bonus out of the constitutional budget reserve. <laughs> so we're also playing the games on our side. All right. Because, well, it would have been fine. If we would have spent more money if you'd given us access to more money. That's not really the answer I was looking for. I mean, uh, you know, again, that's fine. and I understand what she's trying to do here. She's trying to throw the shoe on the other foot to say, well, if you had voted with a three quarter vote, because that's where we put the education funding was in the three quarter vote. If you had done that, then it would have been OK. Not that, again, I would have been OK with a larger education spend. But I mean, I again, everybody's playing the game. Everybody's playing the game. Um, also, they didn't give the House majority the vote to allow an extended session so the budget could be hammered out in a compromise that are usually made in the conference committee. I would have liked to have seen that. And then the extension, uh, the extended session could have uh, given lawmakers time to handle the problems created by the Senate majority, which would not cooperate at the end of the session. So, I mean, there's some political give a take, although I find it ironic that in most of the stories regarding this letter, oh my God, look, they wrote a letter. Quick, let's write about that. Look, the Senate minority is trying to do something. They don't mention Kathy's, com- I mean, I, don't, I didn't see Kathy's comments anywhere but must read. So <laughs> your mileage may vary on how much accurate news you're actually getting in out there and all that stuff. I mean... <laughs> I don't know why people think that they're getting the full story, even if they're doing like I'm doing and reading it from every. I read the same story from like three or four or five different news sources, wherever I can find it. KTUU, Alaska Beacon, you know, Midnight Sun blog. I'm trying to find it all. And you're still not getting the full picture on all that. All right. Yeah. Virtue signaling. That's exactly what it was. It's virtue signaling. Quick, let's write a letter, and then we'll send a copy of the letter to the newspaper so that we can see that we're trying to do something. So, anyway. Um, So, again, more political theater. But, I mean, you're you're starting to see all these, you know, this is what what it's going to be like for the next six months, folks. The next six months will be lamentations, weeping and wailing about how the governor, that cruel, cruel man, um, cut the education funding. And why do you hate the children? And why are you putting puppies and butterflies out and stomping them to death in the street? That's I mean, that, you know, kind of that kind of angst is what's going to come out of that. And that's all you're going to hear is how they're just they're dying on the vine. The school, they just can't do it. We're going to lay off teachers. I mean, that's that's always the threat. Right. In fact, most people don't realize is that the way that the teachers contracts uh, and everything are written is that the teachers contracts are always written to renew right near the end of the session. So that, um, I mean, that's they have this all kind of figured out in timing so that they can come back and say, if you don't give us this funding, we're going to have to pink slip and lay off a bunch of teachers. And so then they can go, oh, hey, look, we just pink slipped a bunch of teachers, notifying them that their contracts won't be renewed next year. And then the public jumps in and goes, 
oh my God, I, my teachers are going to be gone and I'm going to have to take care of my own kids. And I might have to, oh my God, just give them what they want. It's a, it's a, it's a sham. It's not even a yam sham. It's just a regular sham. It is a sham. They've done this intentionally to manipulate the public. I watched it happen when I was at the borough in Fairbanks and I just looked around and I went, you guys realize that this whole thing is just, it's manipulative. They were already pink slipping teachers knowing that the budget was, but it was like they wanted to make sure that the budget crossed the finish line with the dollars that they wanted in it. It's just, it's just manipulative. Oh, it just, it, it just agitates me so much. All right. This leads me back. By the way, the phone lines are open. Somebody was on hold before we went to break and they didn't hold on. But if you want to sound off on any of the things we're talking about today, or if you have a solution that's better than what I've been talking about or we've been talking about for the last few days, feel free to call 907-433-3150. Special thanks, by the way, to the friends at Satellite West for sponsoring the program again today from Seldovia to Soldatna, from Kaktovic to Cordova, wherever you are, they have got the technology to keep you in contact Text messages, emails, phone calls, internet, every, they've got it all. Satellitewest.com. Go see them. Anyway, you can call 907-433-3150. All right. So, sorry. Sidebar. Got, was trying to cool off, cool the jets a little bit. But let's go back to a letter that I started to read. Was it only yesterday? My God, it feels like so many days ago. This is a letter to the editor in the uh, ADN. For I think just 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 Joe nobody. I mean, just the guy's name. I don't recognize him. They don't say that he is uh, anything at all. You know, a lot of times they'll say this letter to the editor was, you know, so and so is a professor emeritus at you know who's he what's university or whatever. Um, but this is kind of the overall feel of this is what we're going to see. This is what we're going to see for the next six months in discussions about what's going on with the state budget. You ready? Here's the letter. Let me read it to you and add my commentary to it. The letter is titled, What You Get When You Fully Support Public Education. That, of course, assumes that your definition of fully supporting is that you just give them whatever monies they want with no accountability. So, I mean, even the headline is, yeah. Anyway, here is the letter. There are many excellent results that may be achieved that may be, let me highlight that, may highlight, that may be achieved by fully supporting public education. No guarantees, no metrics. It may be achieved, which is why it is so important. If public schools were adequately funded, they could hire and retain more qualified educators, give kids access to the most innovative curricula and teaching tools, and expand their academic assistance offerings to those who need them most. Note the Note the order in which those things are laid out there. If, if public schools were adequately funded, we could, one, 
hire and retain more qualified educators. Okay, wait a second. Because two is give kids access to the most innovative curricula and teaching tools. Shouldn't the kids be first? I mean, shouldn't be shouldn't that be one? I mean, the Freudianism is in this whole thing is so, I mean, just the first thing that came up is they want to retain more qualified educators. And then finally, to expand their academic assistance offerings to those who need, what exactly does that mean? Academic assistance, are you talking about giving money? I, mean, I don't even know what that means. Students' academic performance may improve if their schools have adequate funding. Note that it's May. No guarantees, no metrics of performance, no accountability. Excellent results may be achieved by fully supporting education. Students' academics performance may improve if their schools have adequate funding. No guarantees. Students are more likely to take an interest in their studies and make efforts to study when schools have the resources to give them opportunities to do so. I, <laughs> I would argue that students are likely to take an interest in their studies when you work with each individual student in a way that you understand them and what their interests are and you make these studies about what they are interested about. When budgets are cut, schools can't provide children what they need to stay on pace for graduation. That's no. That's just so inaccurate. Therefore, increasing graduation rates among students is a potential outcome. Is a potential outcome. This is so full of like mays and kind ofs and possiblys. The increase in graduation rates among students is a potential outcome of fully supported. How much more have we spent since, uh, what, 2010, 2015? In the last 10 years, how much have we increased education spend? It's a significant amount. I mean, I know they said, well, the BSA hasn't come up. Yeah, but there's a lot of other. And, we, and what is our graduation rate? Oh, about one and a half points higher than what it was under Sarah Palin. When it was 73%, one in four just flunked out. It's still roughly one in four. It's like 74.5% or 75% now. So you're right. It is a potential outcome of more money. We'll get more kids in the. I mean, oh, uh, my head going to explode. explode. And that's not just the sinus congestion, that is the blood pressure. Blood shooting out of my eyes. All right, we're going to continue here. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. I mean, I'm barking into the vacuum here. You guys think this is right? You think it's wrong? Should we just spend whatever? 907-433-3150. We continue with more right after this. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Potential. May. Potential. 
they can they Oh my god. Um all right, let me go back up here see what you guys are saying out here. School choice is the answer. I just this just left out of the page for me from Donna. Competition works in other states. Let's the parents decide how their children will be educated. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, that letter in and of itself is reason number 1638 why you should homeschool your kids. That's that's the whole point there. That that really is the whole point. Um, um, let's see. Wow, you guys are a little verbose this morning. Um, if morning, no company would ever invest in yada, yada, uh, y'all aren't right. Says Denise TT is the husband's chihuahua. I, I did when I saw that Denise, I was trying to figure out what it meant. And Bill immediately went to the wrong place with it, which is Bill's want. Um, but yes, you're right. We all are not right. Um, going through here. Frankly, I'm surprised they can actually write. That was the Senate. That was the legislators. Okay, I'm I'm scrolling ahead here. Uh, extortion. Uh, pink slip. The administrator said Terry. That I mean, that's the thing. That is, that is the thing. How much of this money is actually going to administration and overhead? I mean, we're not having that discussion. Nobody's having the discussion on how much of that BSA increase is actually because there used to be the the there used to be the statute that would require 70 percent to go into the classroom. And it doesn't anymore because they realized they could grow the overhead in the administration. It's it's a it's a. It's a creature unto itself, folks. The whole thing is just this bureaucracy. It's this organic growth that just just keeps growing and growing and growing. Um, Gary says, yeah, Lisa and Gary say, yeah, Michael, that's true. Fairbanks sat on funding and wanted more. There are many school districts that are sitting on funding and want more. We might want that for a rainy day. The rainy day is now. The rainy day is now. Um, many excellent results. Okay. Um, who do Smeeboff us have to, uh, some of us, uh, demonstrate our morality when people spend too much time with the government, they check their morality at the door, manipulation is immoral, lying is immoral, theft is immoral. Okay. Um, did DeSantis make it better or something? Oh, no, that was Jeb Bush. But Donna was talking about the when she worked in the state of Florida, Donna was a key player in that whole thing in bringing that state back on track. Okay. I'm I'm still going through. You guys, I'm sorry. I, I know I'm mumbling, but I'm like trying to speed read everything here. Um, teachers, my teacher says, number one obstacle, time. If they aren't in the class, learn reading, writing, arithmetic. They don't learn it. I'm assuming that's what triple R means, reading, writing, arithmetic, right? Let's. Let's and back. Let's let's all the stolen time from woke crap and get a bus service that actually provides service. I mean, Denise, you got a couple different things wrapped up in that whole statement. But yes, yes. I just read a piece this morning on how Mississippi brought their education system from the bottom to nearly the top now. 
It took their legislators help to get it done. Our government doesn't have the will, but it can be done. Terry, send me that article. If you were just reading a piece about it, let's, let's do that. Greg has got part of it right here. A good start would be the consolidation of school districts. Remove some of the overhead. 53 separate districts, each with their own superintendent and boards and administrators and yada, 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 yada. You know, there's one school board for all of Hawaii. All those kids, all those people, all those various diverse locations and different islands that you got to fly to and do all this other kind of stuff. They do it. I'm not saying that we have one school district, but maybe six, five. You know, Anchorage School District has got more kids in it than probably 48 of the other ones combined. Maybe we could eliminate a lot of that overhead. No. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the thing I taught you, the main issue for education over the last overhead is displacing classrooms. Well, I mean, yeah, that. Yes, exactly. The administration, the administrative side is consuming all the dollars in the room. All right. Okay. Let's um let's get back into it. Let's go. Here we go. Sorry, I'm still distracted. So true, Michael, and most of the kids are going to school and are very well educated. All right. Let's get to it. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share. Like and follow. If you're on YouTube today, like Lisa, make sure you like and share. Or like it, you ring the bell. Okay, um, one final segment before we jump over to the What If Wednesday segment here in Hour 2. And uh, the bottom line, the consensus is, from everybody who's hanging out with us in the chat room this morning, we got about 50 people in there talking with us, is that, yes, um, I mean, we got some good discussions here about, a, you know, a good start would be to consolidate the school districts. Um, maybe you could, um, uh, you know, that, that the overhead, the education, the administrative overhead is consuming and, and taking the lion's share of the monies and everything else. Homeschool is for the 3% who are overprotective of their children. Okay. Yeah, I guess I'm overprotective. I guess that's the way it is. Just me and whatever it is now. What has it gone up to? What's the total number? I can't remember now what the total number of homeschool students in the state is. But it's jumped significantly since COVID started. And a lot of people discovered the benefits of it and kept doing it. I mean, brick and mortar school. Again, this is why I've made this argument time and time and time again. If you want to have, if you want to have a... If you want to have an argument about reforming the school system because you don't like it and you think it's damaging to your children, why in the world would you leave your children in the system while you're having the fight over how to change it? Why wouldn't you pull your kids out while you're having the fight until it's fixed properly so it's not damaging them? I think that's what a lot of people figured out. They were like, whoa, nope, not going to do that. 
Uh, pretty significant increase, though, in uh, homeschooling uh, across the na- across the nation. Across the nation, uh, it went up almost double digits uh, in the various uh, in the various states. But here in Alaska, we already had a good handle on it, and it uh, it went up. So, I mean, I know that Idea, which is the school district that we use to homeschool our kids, was pretty much at capacity. <laughs> I mean, at the end, it was like, nope, we can't do any more. Can't do any more. Um, all right. Uh, let's – where was I before I got so rudely interrupted by the commercial break? Oh, I was talking about this letter to the editor, which is a typical response – from a lot of people out there who know what they feel, but they don't necessarily are not in alignment with all the facts. Uh, we were talking about may and possibly and potentially. Education plays a critical role in empowering students with information and abilities they'll need to enter the industry and thrive in their chosen fields. Okay, yes, you're right. But again, this all assumes that the education that you need comes only from the government-mandated schools, that kids have no love of learning, that they have no interest outside of what's going on. And maybe this is true for some kids. It wasn't true for my kids. If public schools were adequately financed, every child would have the chance to get the education they need to reach their full potential and make a positive contribution to society and the economy. I, I don't know. I can't even. I can't even with the rest of this thing. I can't even. Schools can better address educational inequities and ensure all students have access to high-quality learning experiences if they get enough funding. Are you saying right now, with an average of $18,000 per student, that they're getting right now across the state $17,000, $18,000 per student? Are you telling me? That they don't have access to high-quality learning experiences? Because if not, I want a refund. If for $18,000, you cannot give them access to high-quality learning experiences, you are doing something wrong. Because as a homeschooler, I know, Harold, I'm just overprotective of my kids. As a homeschooler, I did it for a lot less than $18,000 per student, right? Like a third of that, third, maybe even 25, whatever. It was like less than 5,000 bucks for high schoolers and even less than that for grade schoolers a year. And they had access to high quality learning experiences. I mean, this this is insane. This is just, you know, this is, uh, first of all, this is sacrificing your children on the altar of the government. This is the, only the government can do it. Also, the may potentially, probably, could possibly do things if we just give them more money. The lack of any kind of acknowledgement of the need of a metric or a tracking system or accountability in what we're doing. We are literally spending more than any other place around, and we still continue to fall at the bottom of the barrel as far as scholastic achievement. Who in their right mind looks at that and goes, oh, well, what we really need to do is we just need to spend more. We need to spend harder. 
I know we spend twice as much as, you know, Louisiana and Florida and all these other places where they're, you know, they're cresting the scholastic achievement and 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 top of the top of the charts. I but what we need to do is we just need to spend harder. No, maybe what you need to do is look at what is fundamentally broken in the system. Until we acknowledge that something is fundamentally broken, it's never going to change. Which, again, is another reason why I pulled all my kids out of high out of the Well, I didn't pull them because I never had them in there. I That's why I homeschooled all my kids. Because I could see what was happening. I could look at it. I was 21 years old and looked around and went, wow, this is a bunch of pooshwah. This is not working. And said, we'll just homeschool them. So we did. Now, are my kids all Rhodes Scholars? No. Are they educated and well-rounded and can hold a conversation with any adult? Yes. Do they have a love of learning and an interest in things? Yes. Are they healthy and happy? Yes. End of story. I, I just, this whole thing of... We just have more. That's what they just, I should TM, M-O-O-A-R-E, exclamation point, trademark. More, that's what we need. If we just had more, we could make it all work. We could just, if we just had one more shot at it, you know, it reminds me of the old, reminds me of the old bumper sticker. That said, uh, you know, God, please give us another oil boom. We promise not to screw this one up kind of thing. I mean, if you just give us more, I'm sure we could get it right. Potentially, probably, maybe get it right. Don't forget all those modifiers in the thing. That's the important part there. But this is where we're at here. In, uh, in the state of Alaska. So this is what you have to look forward to uh, for the next six months. It'll be more stories about uh, how education, how the school districts are all going to crash and burn. Your children are all going to be dumber. Um, you know, that nobody cares uh, about the children in the state of Alaska, that it's unconstitutional, whatever's going on, I'm sure. Uh, you're also going to hear about the defined benefits program. It's the only way that we're just hemorrhaging government employees that they're leaving because of the defined benefits. And so that's going to be the next one. And we need good teachers and retention. Although if you look at all the studies, and there's been a big discussion on this, and in fact, Reason Magazine has a whole thing on it, when you look at it and they find out that amongst newer teachers, not older, retire near retirement teachers, but among newer teachers, you know, within the who are five years or less into the teaching field, the type of retirement or those kind of things, that's not necessarily the highest priority of what they want. They want flexibility. They want, you know, fulfillment. They want all these other. There's a whole slew of it out there. And your retirement benefits are barely move the needle on whether or not they would decide to go someplace or not. I mean, Smarter people than I have studied all this and got it all written down. You should go read it. And in fact, the reason people sat in front of the state legislature and talked about this with them, and it all just whistled right. It's like whistling in a graveyard. They just went right past them. They didn't like whatever. What we really want is to find benefits. Because why? Because that's what their union overlords said they should do. They should have more defined benefits. More! That's what they needed. That is the new trademark. More. All right. Um, 
Oh man, this is uh, it's a it's a Wednesday. All right, phone lines are going to continue to be open as we get into the what if segment of it, and uh, we will continue. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio, the Michael Duke Show. If you got to go to work, I understand. Be kind, love one another, live well. We'll see you on the other side. Back with more after this. Donna says um, 22,000 correspondent students in Alaska. FYI, I thought it was higher than that. I thought it was closer to 30. Uh, I was just wondering what the potential, uh, what the, not the potential, uh, what the percentage is of, uh, of that compared to regular state. Because I know it's increased significantly uh, since um, the whole COVID thing went on. Um. 22,000, which Harold says and is, is an indication of a lousy, boring school. No, it's, a, it's, an edu- it's an indication of a failing school, Harold. There's a difference. There's a difference. Um, and Lisa points out the thing that most people know. It's the quiet part out loud that most people know. That studies show that the homeschooled kids perform better than students attending identical classes at brick-and-mortar schools, 15 to 30% higher than public school students on standardized tests. Yeah. That letter, this is Brian, I love this. Uh, that letter reads like an essay intended to curry favor with your teacher. Not critical thinking. I'd give them a B. If you were the teacher, you'd give them a B. If you were talking about critical thinking, it would be a D. D. What if there were no schools, says Denise? Well, I think we'd still teach our children, don't you? I mean, I know I would. Yeah. (laughs) Cats and dogs. Cats and dogs. Cats would start sleeping with dogs. Children would be born naked. Uh, Sandy asked, did anyone else get the Jace medical kit? Or did anyone get a Jace medical kit? Are you happy with it? Uh, I have not yet. Uh, it's on my to-do list uh, here, Sandy. Did you get one? What did you think? Did you try it? Was it good? I'm curious. I'm curious. Um, I'll pull that off. Okay. Going through, going through, going through. Uh, schools spend too much time on feelings. What if the fiber optic cable is cut and your phone's quit working, says Sean? (laughs) That's when you should call your friends over there at Satellite West because they've got a phone solution for you, my friend. Um, 23, thank you, Donna. Thank you. 29,000 correspondents and charter school students. I thought the number was closer to 30. I appreciate that. Uh, I guess that's including the charter school. 
uh, which is 23% of Alaska students. I knew it was a significant number. Uh, it's just that, you know. And Harold, of course, is always the voice of reason. Um, I'm looking into the med kit as well. I have seen store shelves go bare, resulting in, from the Mount Redoubt volcano ashing up the airways, affecting air freight. Yeah, I mean, you are. I mean, you thought we were at the end of the. Uh, you thought we were at the end of the supply chain, you know, down here in South Central or on the road system. I mean, Sean's up in. Uh, he's up in, uh, uh, not Kobuk. He's up in Kotzebue. Um, and he, I mean, that's like the end of the line. Oh man. Um, all right. I'm all caught up. I'm all caught up and we're ready to go. And we've got the, what if, what if. Uh, let me pull all this over here. I don't need to talk about that. We talked about that. I'm just closing some windows here because I don't care about the politics stuff now in hour two. I'm done with the politics. Let me just kill all those. And hey, look at that. I got what I, I got what I need. Um, okay. That is a good start. Uh, it is a good start. What we're talking about. And are you, oh, where's my other window? Here it is. Jeez. I got so many computer screens here. You have no idea. Uh, I mean, you might have an idea, but it's a lot. It's a lot, a lot. Finally getting rid of some of that stuff. Oof. Uh, mm, ah, ah. Um... Let me reload that. Yes. Reload. Okay. I think we're ready to go. I think we're as ready as we're going to be for today. Wacky Wednesday morning all. It's wacky Wednesday. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a little bit, it's wet Wednesday. Uh, the, uh, the, it's wet, wet and windy Wednesday. Okay, first hour's done. Break out the Bailey, says Rick. Man, I'd love some Baileys, but that cream in the back of my... <sighs> that would not be great. That would not be great. Uh, Starlink all over Alaska. Yeah, I mean, Starlink, they... I mean, Alaska should be like the test bed for Starlink. They got enough people out there to do all the stuff. Okay. So we're going to open up the phone. Well, the phone lines are already open. We're going to continue our discussion. We're going to do the what if segment. Uh, we'll take some calls if you guys have questions on it or things that we could talk about. Otherwise, I think I have kind of a vague outline of how I want to kind of go about this today. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about a little cascade. Um, and um, let's uh, let's go do it. I call it crazy Wednesday, says Amy. Amy says crazy Wednesday. Mm. All right, here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
Whoa, buddy. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, yeah. Across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukeshow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Hello, my friends. Good morning. Welcome back to the program. As you can see, I am almost fully recovered. I just it's clean living that does it every time. I'm feeling good and only slightly coughing this morning. So if you hear the if you hear a blank segment, it's because I'm trying not to hack up a lung in your ears. That's probably not what you wanted to hear on a Wednesday morning, but I'm just explaining myself. A quick reminder for housekeeping is that uh, because the Fourth of July falls on a Tuesday. Um, I am taking uh, Monday and Tuesday off. And because I am that guy, I'm waiting for Rattles to call, because I am that guy, I'm also taking Friday off. So I'm getting a five-day weekend because I have got a honeydew list that would choke a horse. I've been putting it off for most of June, waiting for it to get nice, but it's just not going to do it. So I might as well just go out there and do the stuff that needs to get done and get it over with. So I got a five-day weekend coming up. Uh, I will be off on Friday. Tomorrow will be my final day of broadcast until Wednesday, July the 5th. Are you marking this down? I don't want to get a bunch of text messages on Friday and on Monday and on Tuesday that I'm not there because I won't answer your texts, sorry, uh, or your messages or whatever. So that's, that's, you know, that's what it's all about. So. Uh, I'm just giving you the heads up and letting you know what's, what's going on. Just, uh, wanted to, wanted to be, be clear. Yes. Mark it down, mark it down, mark it down. All right. Um, this hour of the program, uh, I'm done with politics for now because last hour, the blood pressure shot up. We were talking about the education stuff and how just ridiculous this is going to be because yes, that's what you'll see for the next six months. What did I say that you guys should all hail me? I don't know. Everybody's like, all hail Dukes. I'm like, I don't know what I just did. This is not a cult. But, I mean, if you'd like to send dues in, you could. I mean, that would help the the cult-like status of the show. Um, But uh, we were talking about education and how the next six months, all you're going to hear about is how bad it is that we hate children. And that uh, dogs and cats will soon be living together and there'll be mass hysteria in the streets and puppy dogs and butterflies are going to die in droves because... We didn't give enough money to education. And uh, that's going to be the continuing theme from now until the next session in January. I can almost guarantee it. That's it. You know, that's what it's all about. Um, so, but I moved off that. And because it's Wednesday and we've been, we've been, um, um, we've been talking a little bit about the what if properties and 
of course, you know, it used to be the fictitious, uh, oh, what if there was a global pandemic? I mean, wouldn't that be, I know that's just so fictitious that it wouldn't possibly, and then, er, oh, I mean, uh, oh, okay, all right, it's real. So, you know, the, the what if factor is always what could occur, what kind of catastrophe, what kind of emergency, natural or man-made, could we be dealing with? And as I've talked about in the past, I always, I used, one of my guilty pleasures used to be to watch this show called Doomsday Preppers. Anybody remember that on Nat Geo? Doomsday Preppers. I always love to, you know, first of all, because I, well, let me just put it this way. I would mock that show mercilessly because the first thing that they would do is, you know, say, well, what are you preparing for, Johnny? Well, I'm preparing for global thermonuclear war. And Susie, what are you preparing for? I'm preparing for the next episode of the Spanish flu. What about you, Cindy? What are you preparing for? I'm preparing for the collapse of the dollar and all these. I mean, it was all super like specialized and all this kind of stuff. My favorite episode of Doomsday Preppers, by the way, is the Craig Compo episode of Doomsday. Craig Compo from Fairbanks, the owner of Compos. He literally got them to do a whole show as an advertisement for his specialty jet boat because it was the only way to access his remote prepper site, which was not, it wasn't even a structure. It was a camping site up in the woods, but he literally got them to do a 30 minute segment or whatever on this boat and how it would, I mean, it was just, it's brilliant. It was brilliant marketing of what's going on. But here's the point. The point is that if you are preparing yourself for what if, the bottom line is the what if shouldn't really matter. I mean, the what if this happens or that happens. It shouldn't be a specific, oh, I'm waiting for the zombie apocalypse. Okay. I mean, right? If you are prepared, you should essentially be ready for anything. You should be prepared for a massive earthquake, the aftermath of that, or flooding, or a lightning storm, or hailstorm, or global, you know, pandemic, or economic collapse, or whatever it is. That is the whole point of thinking about these things in these you want to look at what do we need to stay healthy and alive and warm and fed through any of these situations. Now, part of the problem is is <clears throat> in the long term, we know that many we know that many emergency situations will be fairly short-lived. Right. Like a, a, an earthquake, some kind of natural disaster, ecological disaster. I mean, those things, for the most part, usually could be cleared up within, you know, 30 to 90 days. You could probably be back to quasi normal. So you've got the short term planning. Then you've got things that may last a lot 
longer. Um, I mean, again, getting down into the nitty gritty of, you know, a nuclear exchange or a collapse of an economy uh, or something like that, which would have more. Now we're talking about it could be months to a year or two for it to fully recover to try and get back to normal. If in some cases, if ever. It gets back to normal. So <clears throat> you have to kind of plan on a variety of levels, right? But we should all just start with the basics. What do you need? You need food. You need shelter. You need heat. You need water. That's pretty much it. You know, and that that's pretty much it when it comes down to to keeping alive and staying things good. Anything beyond that is just, you know, nice added gravy, but it's important. One of the things that I think people need to face when they start talking about how quickly things can go wrong and how quickly things can slide out of civility, um, we often talk about Hurricane Katrina. Hurricane Katrina was an exemplary, exemplary example of several things. First of all, it showed you just how disorganized and how inept the government is in response to these kind of situations. So all of those people out there who are going, well, it won't matter because the government will come in and help us. They won't let us starve. They won't let us. They won't. They wouldn't let us do. They wouldn't do this. They wouldn't do that. I mean, from the fact that they packed everybody into the Superdome, to the deaths that were there, to the looting that took place, to the confiscation of firearms. They brought the National Guard in and tried to confiscate firearms from people. I mean, just the ineptitude of every action that the government brought in there. I mean, that should just be the that should be a case study in what happens in those kind of disasters when you depend on the government and those bureaucracies to take care of it. They just it just doesn't work. The second thing is an example of is the thin thin veneer of civility that we have in our day-to-day lives. We don't realize it. You know, we don't realize that how thin that 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 skin is. But within hours of the uh, within hours of the hurricane passing through and everything else, what did we see in the streets? We saw looting. We saw violence. We saw things turn and tra- when when people could have been like, we could just help our neighbor and take care of things. Instead, what we saw was rampant violence, so much so that again, as I mentioned earlier, the Police then went around and tried to disarm average civilians, average citizens who weren't doing that, who were just there to defend themselves, making them more vulnerable to that kind of behavior. And then, of course, again, the federal government's response of sending the National Guard in from other states into Louisiana to then confiscate. I mean, it's a whole thing. The the Hurricane Katrina is a case study in why you should be prepared for yourself. Uh, as an example, because it shows you just how fragile the system is and just how thin the 
skin of civility is on everything else. And then thirdly, it shows you just how inept the government response would be and how you really have no one to rely on other than yourself, your friends, your neighbors, your family, the people that you've worked with and are familiar with, all that. I mean, you've got to develop a system for yourself. So I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to talk a little bit about the fragility of the system uh, and the logarithmic decay that we see in um, that we see in societies and we've seen in history over the years. Uh, uh, Simon Black over on his website has got a interesting article talking about logarithmic decay and what can happen in societies. He's specifically talking about the dominance of the dollar. But it is uh, something that you can use, that kind of uh, thinking can be used and applied to almost anything in societies. And you could see that they eventually, you know, fall off and decay. And what it goes from is from the the idea that it's the gradual decline to the logarithmic a, draw, a logarithmic line starts as a gradual decline. And then you reach that point where they call it, then suddenly it drops off. So it's like a hockey stick laid on its, you know, on its tip. It's like this gradual, gradual decline, and then poof, it just drops right into the toilet. That is what logarithmic decay is, and that is what we have experienced in history amongst many different nations and cultures. And it's something that, in this case, he's talking about uh, the um, talking about the U.S. dollar and the debt problem and things like that. That, if, if you were going to put money on anything in these days, I would say that the debt problem in the U.S. is going to create more problems than almost anything else I can think of right now. And we should be concerned about it. But I want to talk about the fragility of the system overall and how that interconnectedness works. So I'm going to come back to that. Um, and if you have questions or things you want to talk about in regards to this, phone lines are open. 907 433 3150. Let's get back to it, shall we? The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. We return with more right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay. Well, I don't know what just happened, but the Homer stations just dropped off the air. So, I mean, not dropped off the air. They dropped off the connection here, so. Let me uh, look to see what's uh, going on here. See if I can figure out what is happening. Um, uh, you guys just. Uh, um, I can't. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens there. I see that I got a phone call on hold, uh, which we're going to get to 
right now to get their name and where they're calling from so that we can understand uh, all this stuff. Move this over here uh, and see who's out there. Uh, good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Um, Michael, this is Carlene in Kodiak. Hi, Carlene. Why don't you hold well, it? You knew that you were off the air here. Yeah, no, I, I just watched it, it drop. It kind of got intermittent and then sounded like an echo and now it's snowy. Yeah, I, I think they lost. Uh, I think it, that... it seems like the Homer station had problems. They were without power in Homer for a couple of hours, and then he had trouble there. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think they've been. Yes, I, I think they've been having some issues down there for sure, Carlene. So I appreciate that. Appreciate you letting me know. Yes, thank you. Thank you. All right. Sure. All yes. right. Um. Yeah. I think they've got some. I think they got some issues. I think they got more issues in National Geographic's. Um, all right, well, we'll see what happens down there. Okay. Come back over here. Mm, okay. I hope they saw the Titanic, blah, 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 blah. Live like the stuff has hit the fan from time to time. That way it's not such a shock or struggle if and when it does happen. It's not a bad idea, Jeremy. It's not a bad, not a bad uh, uh, run. Uh, let me see. City folks will always be the first targets. Then they will come to Bush. Uh, the city people will come after the prepared, which is one of the reasons why, for the most part, you don't necessarily need to advertise that you are prepared. You can have that water cooler discussion with everybody around you to be like, oh, really wide eyed. Oh, man, those crazy preppers, right? Uh, the government response to Katrina wasn't as bad as far as disasters goes. The disappointment was the LEOs going criminal. Um, well, I would argue that the response at the, especially what happened after they started stacking and packing people at the Superdome, that I would, I would argue that the government response was far from adequate. Let me just make that. And again, it just proves my, my whole point was you just shouldn't look to the government to, you shouldn't depend on their reaction. Let's just put it that way, Jeannie. That's what I was trying to say. Um, um, let's say one or off the tourists. Uh, we just wander off if you're not interesting. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Robbie. Um, the tourists are using up all the internet down here, says Bill. Apparently that's part of the problem. Until you've been to a disaster site, your criticism should be curtailed. It's an eye-opening, holy smokes, where do we start moment. Uh, this is not criticism, uh, Jeannie. I, I guess it's not personal criticism. It's analysis. And it's not analysis just by me. It's from me reading experts who are critical of the situation. So please don't take it personally. If you were down there during Katrina... This is not a personal affront to you. This is a hopefully a teaching and learning moment for what's going on there. So don't take it personally. Um, uh, the only time I know about the power going out is when people tell about it on Facebook or the radio. There you go. Okay. Well, we're coming back to it. Looks like we still, I still haven't gotten a text message back. So he's probably in the middle of uh, 4 million things down there. 
Uh, I'm connected. Hey, I reconnected. Look at that. All right, here we go. 20 seconds out. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share, like and follow. Let's uh, let's get it going on. Here we go. No, I got five seconds. I hate it when I start early. I hate it when I start early. Here we go now. Ready? Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which uh, makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. Yeah. <laughs> pain in the what? Say it. I dare you. I double dog dare you to say it. Uh, welcome back to the uh, program. It is uh, What If Wednesday. We're continuing discussions and talking about different things. Uh, apparently, they're having some problems, some power uh, issues and power outages uh, down in the Homer area. Uh, but we are back and up and running. Uh, I got a phone call during the break from somebody in Kodiak who said that we they lost the signal, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we're working on it. If you're listening down in the peninsula, we appreciate it. I'm sure they're working through all the. I'm sure they're working through all the issues, trying to get it, uh, trying to get it all squared away. So we're connected now. Thumbs up. Okay, what was I talking about before? I was talking about Katrina, and again, um, just as a just as a learning lesson, that's kind of what Katrina is all about the the learning lesson of don't be dependent on the government to come save your bacon. That's what the majority of people feel, right? I mean, and and it's not surprising because that's what we've been told since we were, you know, knee high to a grasshopper, right? We go to public schools and everything else, and uh, you know, it was, it, it, you 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 end up there, and they're like, well, you know, if there's a problem, government's the answer to that, and if you think you just you trust the government, they will do it for you, and they'll take care of you, and I mean, it, it just that's what you're taught from a very young age. Some of us with a strong anti-authoritarian streak and more than that, and a little bit of experience in life, realize that that's not really the case because human beings are human beings. And you really should look out for yourself and you shouldn't be dependent on something else to going on. So um, let's talk about some of the fragility of the systems. Um, and before I get into the basics, I'm probably going to get into the basics to the end of this segment and then into the last segment, we'll get into some of the basics. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the fragility of the system and uh, the potential for cascade failure. Um, the problem is, is that um, the problem is, is that uh, we in America have become dependent. We we are victims of our own technology. And what I mean by that is, uh, what used to be more of a long term thing, where people had pantries. Remember when pantries were a thing? I mean, maybe here in Alaska, they're still more prevalent than they are in the lower 48. But there's a lot of places where people just don't have, you know, they got a couple cupboards worth of food and that's about it. Uh, they don't have pantries. They don't have walk-in pantries. Maybe it's a small closet. Uh, or maybe it's like the old style walk-in pantry where people used to have that. Uh, back in the day when grocery stores were, uh, you know, one half of the grocery store was the front half of the building and the second half uh, by 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 size percentage wise, the second half was storage where they would store. It looked like a Costco in the background. But as things became more efficient, as they were, you know, computerization and modernization and automation got involved, it started to become easier and easier 
to, um, you know, have this thing just just in time delivery, right? That's what they call it, just in time. Where instead of having three months worth of supplies or three weeks worth of supplies, now we have three days worth of supplies on the shelves at any given time. And that has changed a lot. And that just-in-time delivery system is a simple but complex system. It's a simple system but complex in nature. And by its very complexity, you don't know where things may break. But there could be, you know, at, at any given point, there could be a variety of things that have to happen. The interdependency... Um, of our complex society breaks down to kind of the following. Uh, the food on your plate depends on all of the following things working perfectly. Okay. Your bank has to work perfectly because you got to make sure you could pay for the food, your job, your health, your paycheck, your supermarket has to be working properly, has to be properly supplied. The local delivery trucks and their warehouses have to be running up, have fuel, have their product, have the energy and the electricity to maintain coolers and do all that kind of stuff. The manufacturers, shippers, and the plants themselves that are creating the food and packaging the food. And then, of course, the farmers and their harvesting equipment and all the delivery trucks and all the things that are then interconnected to that, including fuel delivery and seed and fertilizer and all that. And then the crops and then the weather themselves. And that's, I mean, if any one of those links breaks down, that's just on the food side of things. We're only talking about the food. If any one of those links breaks, you'll notice it in just a couple days. Your grocery stores will notice it within three days. But you, if any one of those links breaks down, your family will begin to notice it in just a few days. And if you're not prepared in any way, if you haven't thought about it, they would be seriously hungry pretty quickly after that. So, for example, by talking about food insurance, that's what I like to call the food storage and things like that is food insurance. By you know, by by doing that, by storing food, you guarantee food on the table for up to fill in the blank, a year, six months, a year. Without stored food, you're vulnerable to break in any of those links. Now, food and water and shelter and heat, those are the things that you need to survive no matter what. Do you need a job in the long term? Yes, but in the short term, no. Right? If if all you were worried about, there's some massive earthquake, you couldn't go to work or pandemic or what, you had all these things. That's why it's always important to start with food. But I'm trying to highlight how complex our system has become in this day and age. Because now we're shipping products from, you know, we're not, you know, in used to be the food was created in the local areas, taken to the local stores, sold to the local people from the local farms. Now, of course, like even here in Alaska, in Palmer, where that was a farm colony, right? They don't produce enough food to feed Palmer, let alone Anchorage and Fairbanks and Palmer and everywhere else. We don't have that. We're now become dependent on all these things going on from thousands of miles away. And again... It's a simple system, but the complexity of it, any given thing. In fact, I have a quote because I, to me, this really struck me when I was both reading the book and watching the show. There's a show called The Expanse, which is about space, and it's a 
It's a drama. Anyway, it's a great show. It's one of the best science fiction shows um, dealing with geopolitical stuff and everything else that you could possibly ever watch. One of my favorites. I probably watched it half a dozen times already. It's just it's fantastic. But in this story, he one of the characters is talking about the complexity of a space station, not a space station. It's a it's on Ganymede, which is on a moon. Uh, anyway, it's not a space station per se, but it's a station. And he's talking about the complexities of the system. And he's talking about how the systems are simple yet complex, and that leads them to be prone to what they call cascade failure. And uh, he lays it out in a way for me, just for me, it was so great. So he's talking about the hydroponics in the station and how the hydroponics contribute to the filtration of the air, providing CO2 scrubbing, providing O2. It's a supplement to the regular oxygen system in the station and how the cascade failure, what it is and how it works. So this is the character, uh, Praxmang. Uh, talking to uh, Amos Burton, but it is, I thought, a really good example of what the cascade failure is. They're using distilled water in the hydroponic supply instead of the proper mineral solution needed for long-term stability. That sounds bad. We'll only be able to get away with it for another week, maybe two, and after that, the air, the scrubbing plants, what's left of them, will die off. When that happens, they won't be able to stop the cascade. What's the cascade? In real nature, there's enough diversity to cushion an ecosystem when something catastrophic happens. Nothing that we build, our ships or stations, has that depth. Now, in an artificial ecosystem, when one thing goes wrong, there's only a certain amount of pathways that can compensate for it. Eventually, those pathways get overstressed, and then they fail, which leaves fewer pathways. And then they'll get overstressed, and then they fail. So it's not the thing that breaks you that you need to watch out for. Exactly. And Ganymede is a simple, complex system. Because it's simple, it's prone to cascades. And because it's complex, you can't predict what's going to break down next or how. Yeah, but Ganymede is the most important food station out here. They're not going to let it just collapse. The station's dead already. They just don't know it yet. So, uh, you know, again, that to me was like a shocking kind of look at what's going on when when in nature, everything's got enough depth to deal with it. But in this artificial system that we've created of just in time delivery and all these other things, as I said, all the things that are needed to happen to get food to your table or anything else to your, you know, a part or piece to your machine or fuel to your door, any one of those things fall down. It creates a problem. And as those things, like if there's a problem with fuel delivery or things like that, that has a cascade failure on other things like shipping and local delivery or moving things or even farming itself. So it's it's a fascinating topic. And uh, it is a. uh, it's it's sobering in so many ways. When I first started looking into the complexity of that kind of stuff and I realized how how tender and delicate it is, how one little thing can tip the balance. I mean, look at what's going on, you know, in uh, when, when the pandemic hit and you had the supply chain issues and what the ramifications were for that. I mean, it became the norm that the stores only had a limited supply of food on their shelves, that there were many empty spaces. 
and that they were limiting the amount of food that you could buy. That would have been unthinkable at any other time. But uh, it's uh, it, it's an interesting discussion. So let's start off with the idea of uh, how do we how do we fix this? What do we, what do we need to do? Um, and I want to talk a little bit. Of course, food is a whole show in and of itself. But you need food. You need water. You need shelter. You need heat. Those are the things that keep you alive, no matter what else is going on. And so you need that in both the short term. And you need to plan for it in the long term. How are you going to get it in the long term? And we'll talk about that. And we'll also talk about some other ideas of uh, what you need in preparedness um, as well. So we're going to continue with that. And we'll be back in just a moment. Phone lines are open. 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. The Michael Duke Show. What If Wednesday, back with more right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Um, Wasn't as cohesive as I wanted it to be, but... mm. Anyway, it was uh, it was interesting. Okay, broken record much. Again, I don't know what context you're talking about, Willie. Was that something I said or something that somebody else said? Um, yeah, Sean, I know Sean made a mention about what if your pharmacy lost its supplies, no blood pressure pills. Uh, you should go back and if you, I know you're having problems with the internet, Sean, but you should go back and look at the uh, segment we did last Wednesday with Jace Medical, um, where they have not only emergency medicines, but they also have a daily where you can get a year's supply of your regular medications uh, to have on hand. It, it's a great, great time. Um, also, vitamins if you end up short or out of fruit keeps the scurvy. Um, Robbie said fake accents and bad acting was boring. Who had fake accents? I don't know. I Apparently, Robbie and I were watching different shows. That's all I could say. Um, the bottom line is, says Robbie, though, is that we are one disaster away from total chaos. I think that is a uh, I, I point. I, I guess that's, I, you know. Um, Jeannie says, if at this point, if you don't have a freeze dryer, you can't be prepared for one year's worth of meals. I disagree. I think a freeze dryer, a trees dryer is a great opportunity, but I don't, I don't agree that you can't have a year's supply of food without a freeze dryer. Um, and I've got a, I've actually have a plan out there for it. Um, there you go. Okay. If you store, okay. Um, uh, Frank also disagrees. Canning and drying work great. Yeah. Plastic degrades, glass doesn't, mylar doesn't degrade, five-gallon five food-grade buckets don't as well. No. I mean, there's a, there's a whole whole thing we can get into on food. I mean, the food could be a whole one-hour show. I mean, I've got a 
I have a, I have it open here. I used to teach a food storage class. I've got a 90 page manual that I put together on food storage. Um, and a one year emergency food supply includes the, and this is long-term bulk foods has absolutely almost, it has almost no dehydrated or freeze dried components in it. Um, uh, and you can do it. It's a, it's, it's an amazing thing. And canned food uh, is a great way to do it because it lasts for a long time. Long time. Um, anyway, there's a whole, there's a whole, I mean, it's been a long time since I wrote this manual. It's been 10 years since I wrote this manual, but it's still applicable today. Um. I dry food in baskets above my wood stove, says Jeremy. Well, that's one way to do it. That's definitely one way to do it. Okay. Um, not sure what you mean. I'm pretty good for a good time, a period of time if I can't go to the grocery store uh, or an extended amount of time. I mean, you know, uh, I don't know who you were responding to, if it was me or anything else. Um and the regulations for bugs and flour have changed. Storage time is much shorter than it used to be. That's why you can sift the flour. I mean, if you get larder beetles or, or you know, whatever else in there, you can sift them out. And, and if it's between that or not eating, you and I both know that the weevils would be a crunchy protein addition to your healthy wheat snack. 12-grain bread it was actually only 9-grain breads because there was 3 grains of weevils in there. Um, you and I both know that that's, if it came to eat or not eat, you know, you would eat. That's pretty much the bottom line there. All right. Anyway, let's, uh, let's talk over, oops, let's talk over here about, uh, planning ahead. Oh, all right. Bugs are just extra protein. That's what I just said, man. Bugs are just extra protein. Uh, oh, hey, we got one line on hold. I just looked up and realized I had a phone call. Let me get that number real quick. Name, uh, we're going to jump back into it here in about a minute. So let me go over here and figure out who it is. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hi, Michael. This is Jason calling from Fairbanks. Hey, Jason. All right. I got your flashlight, by the way. It's very cool. Thank you. Um, oh, I'm, you did? Yeah, oh, it showed up. Good. Yeah, it shows delivered when it hits my post office, and then that's why it said it was delivered. I hadn't picked it up yet. So, um Anyway, um, okay. and I also see you got all the books and also that DVD about uh, Gerard O'Neill, yeah. Space Colony, oh, man. where he covered all of these problems of food and water. Yeah, no, I watched a, I watched some of that stuff on YouTube already, but it's fascinating. Anyway, hold on the line, Jason. I'll be right back to you. We're gonna be we'll be coming back to you shortly here. Um, all right, uh, the Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Like and share, like and follow. Let's, uh, I guess we'll just get right back into it and uh, we'll take Jason's call and then we'll talk more about uh, the general preparedness stuff. Here we go. Uh, love it, leave it, like it, follow it. You know. All right. 
Uh, one final segment here. We're still in the what if portion of the program. And we are ready to talk uh, more about uh, some general preparedness and basic preparedness. I want to get into food, but that's like a whole show in and of itself, which I really want to kind of structure out so that it makes sense for you. Uh, but first, uh, let's go over to the phones. Jason is uh, on the line uh, from uh, Fairbanks. He wanted to call in this morning and sound off on uh, our What If Wednesday. Good morning, Jason. What's on your mind? Hey, good morning. Yeah, I heard, heard you talking about this, and uh, the, the, the I heard you also talking with, with a couple of the folks on the chat room about the freeze dryer. It mm-hmm. is a nice device, but in Georgia, where we lived, we never had any need for it. We had our own little garden, and we, we made things like beef stew, um, blackberry jam, and also um, tomato sauce, which we often use with zucchini, which we grew in the garden, and we would can it can all this stuff in the ball jars you know you know the, those uh, canning jars and right. it would last for years and and uh, quite easy to do you just make a large batch of it at the time and the thing is people who are who may feel daunted about getting involved in this you can start very simply like i'm an old, i'm from one of the old florida families and of course in florida hurricanes are always a problem we just um would we would take note of uh, the you know when you know the, the best buy dates of, of canned food and dry foods too you know, like pasta and things like that and we would just um, we 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 would we would stack them according to age and we would just rotate it and sure enough when we had Hurricane Andrew in 1992 plus a couple of small ones before that our, ne- <clears throat> our neighbors were doing that too and we all ate and drank very well and uh, in fact even for having cold drinks you can use the same kind of uh, techniques you use to make your own ice cream at home with one of those crank type devices with the soda crystals so you can have your own cold iced tea even you know or 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 are there soft drinks if you want so in other words you can start this very simply and then gradually build into it it's not like you have to start from zero from scratch to go into it in a big way right no exactly i mean this is the whole two is one and one is none thing uh we talk about you know canned food uh pre-prepared canned food and you're talking about Mm -hmm. canning your own stuff and that's that's a whole nother thing as well that's a science and like you said you could create whole meals you could create soups and stews and you know off the bone meats and things like that that you can can and put it on the shelf in glass jars now of course the only problem is in an earthquake zone you want to make sure that your jars are secure you don't want your food storage ending up on the floor kind of thing but wrap them with foam yeah put them in boxes i mean yeah you (laughs) could do vibration so they won't shake and and bang against each other or fall on the floor yeah i know i know a lot on my old house down the street here on second avenue the uh the all the uh, the uh, counter doors have latches so if there's an earthquake everything won't fall out which which i thought was a very smart thing the house was built in 1917 Right. Well, and I knew that then too. Yeah, no. And I know a lot of people would store their jars back in the cases in which they came from and then just put them on the shelf. And that way they're not Mm -hmm. shaking off the shelf and everything else. But yeah, no, you you make a very valid point. It's nice to have dehydrated food. It's nice to have freeze dried food. They're very handy. They're very useful. I have I have some um, in my food storage, but the bulk of my food storage is, uh, you know, in canned and uh, packaged dry goods, uh, bulk things, rice, right. and you know things like that. So, and you don't have to jump into it with both feet. You know, people go, "Oh my God, I went to Patriot Supply or someplace, and I looked at a year supply of food, and it's you know, 
$1,800 or something. And I'm like, you don't, you start small. You go to the store, you need a can of soup, you buy two or three. If you can afford it, maybe you buy half a case, you know, you need vegetables, you buy, you buy three or four cans, you do this, you pretty soon, if you buy three and four cans of everything that you need, pretty soon you've got a nice back stock and you just start using it, you know, old, you know, newest, you know, FIFO first in first out, you start uh, using it as you need. And every time you use it, you replace it with two more. And pretty soon you've got a, you've got a significant amount of food uh, supplies on your shelf for recipes that you're already making. Right. Because let's face it, the average family probably has a dozen different meals, maybe 15 meals that they eat pretty regularly. And you know exactly Mm -hmm. what needs to go into them. Well, you could build it all up right there and it makes it simple and easy. Yes, and it's better than staring and staring in a cupboard at peanut butter and crackers and say, "Oh, geez, I really don't want to. We really don't want to have to eat these for meals." But like you said, eating what you normally eat every day, so there's also no worries about uh, aller, you know, allergies or anything like that. And something else too, when 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 communism fell in Russia, they did that too. In fact, they even taught. Oh, and that's the other thing. The information on uh, the experiments that they did when they were developing space colony plans in the 70s in America here, right. um, they they used a lot of data from a Filipino uh, agricultural research station where they found certain crops are natural enemies of each other and, they'll, and, and, and what you get is not really edible, but other crops like each other, quote unquote, and you can grow a, quite a variety of those in a very small space. And that's also what the Russians did too on rooftops and, and on uh, balconies of apartments you know, like in Moscow. And, um, and that could be done here too. In fact, I think they've got a speaker bureau at the Space Studies Institute, which Dr. Gerard O'Neill, the space colony inventor you know, the, of the concept, um, they have, because they had to solve all of these same problems that we have here in Alaska. And I want to contact them. They, they could, they could, because they had to look at the same problems and come up with multiple ways, like in the expanse, to prevent, you know, to prevent cascade failures like that. Right. Essentially, they were right. duplicating Earth conditions in space, and and the same solutions they came up with would work perfectly well here in Alaska. In fact, even more easily because you don't have to have any pressurized uh, habitats. Just ordinary right. buildings will work fine. Right, exactly. <laughs> growing things as well as storing food. No, there's a lot of good uh, technology out there. Uh, one of the other things that I was talking about was both aeroponics and hydroponics. Those are things that you mm-hmm. can do to help grow some of your own foods. And like I said, I wanted to talk to the people at uh, Eden uh, Aeroponics to talk about. We'll see if we can get them on the program to talk about some long-term stuff as well. But, yeah, I mean, there's lots of options out there. But it doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be expensive. It could be as no. simple as... Every time you go to the grocery store, you get a half a dozen extra cans of whatever you're already getting, and then you just put them on the shelf. That's right. It's 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 super yeah. simple. And in Georgia, a lot of our neighbors, older neighbors, you know, they grew up before before canning was even common. I mean, I'm talking about cans you buy at the store. They often had um, it looked like a string of firecrackers hanging on their kitchen wall of uh, salted uh, green beans and other vegetables, where they would tie them together, you know, with string. And when you when, when it was supper time, they would just unru- unravel the uh, the number that they wanted, and just uh, wash the salt off and fix them up, and they were delicious. And uh, right. we learned how to do that also. And and like I said, you can start like you like you said with just just ordinary canned goods bought at the store. So nobody need nobody need freak out and say, oh my God, how am I going to learn to do this? My grandparents knew how, but I didn't know how to do it. I look at it this way. They knew how to do it. If they could do it, 
we can do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. All right. Well, thank you, Jason. I appreciate your call. Keep thank up you. The good work. Thanks for thank thanks you. for coming in and joining us. Uh, 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150 if you want to uh, have a thing. Let's talk about the basics of, uh, you know, kind of a preparedness. First of all, you have to have a plan, right? You have to have a plan for what should happen if there's any kind of emergency, regardless of what it is. And you got to know what it is. Now, everybody talks about, well, we got to make our bug out bags and everything else and we should do this. Great. It's a great idea to have a go bag. Um, it's a great idea to have that stuff on hand if you need it, but the best way for most people will be to hunker down and have a plan in place to shelter where they are because you've already got the majority of what you need right there. And by the way, if you've got a year supply of food, you don't want to walk away from it, right? You don't want to walk away from it. Um, so you need to have a shelter plan for sheltering in place. You know, you also need to have an evacuation plan, uh, just in case you have to leave. Where would you go from there? Do you have an alternative plan? You don't want to have to try and decide in the middle of a crisis where you need to go. Oh, I mean, the earthquake happened and the whole house came down. It didn't work. You know, what, what are you going to do? Or, you know, there's a forest fire and you need to evacuate. What are you going to do now? So you got to have a plan for evacuation and for where you would need to go. And you should have that pre-planned. That should be part of it. Uh, what about communication between yourself and your family? Um, if the cell phones go down, if the communication goes down, if regular telephones go down, what do you have? You know, do you have a rally point? Do you have what? What are you doing? What is the what is the plan there? So you got to have a communication plan. And what do you have in your basic preparedness kits, your emergency kits, that kind of thing? You also, when you're figuring this stuff out, you need to custom tailor the plans to your needs and your specific daily living. Um, you need to figure out if you're caring for your kids, if you've got young kids, how are you going to do that? If you're preparing for business, uh, many of you have pets. Do you have you created some kind of plan for what you're going to do for your pets? Do you have enough food on hand? Do you have enough things on hand to take care of them? Is that something that you can you know that you're relying on? That's something that many people forget is that their pets, you know, uh, are going to be part of it. You need to know when you're thinking about each individual member of your household, you need to think about their different ages. You need to think about, is there any special dietary needs that they need to have? Uh, we talked about medication last week. Medications are important. If there's, you know, what kind of medications, especially if there's an interruption in the supply chain? Do you, have you gone to Jace Medical or some other place similar and gotten some emergency medicines or your daily medicines in a long-term supply? Um, do you have any, uh, you know, households with school age kids and what are you going to do for them? And how are you going to, that these are all things that you need to think of and that, that it shouldn't get overwhelming. Just take them one thing, just one, uh, one step at a time. Uh, and then you get into your basic disaster supplies, um, in your household. So you need to have for food. I mean, you need to have at least. I mean, a month's worth of food, right? I mean, that to me, that would be a bare, absolutely bare minimum of an extra day's worth, extra month's worth of food for every person in your household. You need to have one gallon of water per person per day for that time, because that's what it takes to survive is one gallon. That's not for washing, it showers and everything. That's just for cooking, drinking, and eating. One gallon per person per day. So if you've got four people, you're going to need, for a month, you'll need 120 gallons of water. 
well, are you going to put 120-gallon jugs? Are you going to get a big 55-gallon drum? What are you going to do to make it work? You need to have a battery-powered uh, radio, a hand, maybe a hand crank radio, a NOAA weather radio, something to keep you informed so you know what's going on. You obviously need flashlights. You need first aid kits. You need extra batteries to run any of these things. Um, you know, it's not bad to have tools, a manual can opener for your foods if you need that, if you know, big one or a small one. You need a cell phone with chargers and a battery, a battery backup because that phone may still work. There's so many things. I mean, we, we, we're up against it already. I, I, I didn't get to this fast enough. All right. Well, I'm going to try and line this out a little better here in the future. And I'm going to try and be a little more concise with it. I feel like I was a little bit all over the place there at the end. But it's an interesting discussion. We're going to continue tomorrow. Have a good day, folks. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Well, damn, I was a little disappointed in that. I didn't have it quite lined out quite how I wanted it. That's uh, it's a bummer. Okay. Well, anyway, um, uh, Sandy says, she. Uh, you got the Jace Medical Kit. Okay, I see. Um, she said the Jace Medical Kit, nice zip-up medical with a nice emergency book inside, far superior to the Dr. Dr. Stella, which was another one. I'd reached out to three different places. Jace was the only one that got back to me. I reached out to Dr. Stella and one other that I can't remember the name of. But Dr. Jace's, or uh, the... Uh, Dr. Rowland's place, the Jace Medical, they got back to me almost immediately. And we had them on the air within just a couple days. So they seem to really have their stuff together. And I'm glad to hear, Sandy, that it came in and you got it squared away. But anyway, um, I'm going to be a little more, again, I wanted to, this didn't go quite how I wanted this morning, but it is what it is. Uh, Hopefully somebody got something out of it. All right, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We will see you guys tomorrow. Have a great day.
we've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. <laughs> 